Good morning. Good to see all of you. Uh, as you look out of the audience, you do see a number of places uh, where we've got brethren out due to illness or travel. So uh, be mindful of that, as ha- has already been mentioned. But it's good to be here with you this morning to worship God and to encourage one another in our walk with Jesus. It's always a blessing to be with the family of God, the family of Christ. This morning I want to talk a little bit about the subject of the doctrine of Christ. A lot of people do not like to discuss doctrine. And for whatever reason, uh, perhaps generally speaking, they don't want to talk about doctrine because in their estimation, in their conclusion, doctrine is going to cause strife. Doctrine is going to cause division. As most good Bible students know, as I know you know, the word doctrine simply means teaching. And so it doesn't matter what we teach, or does it matter what other people teach? Well, of course it does. But doctrine actually does unite, and doctrine does divide. Because it depends upon a man's acceptance of it, or a man's rejection of that teaching. And that's going to determine whether or not that person is going to unite with or separated from someone else that perhaps has a different idea, believes something differently in regard to teaching. We all know that there are almost a limitless number of ideas and teachings or doctrines of men in this world. I mean, it is quite confusing and we see that confusion has, quite, has caused a great religious uh, chaos in our world. And so clearly we understand that everybody is not going to think exactly alike. And we know that men you know, are not united because there is a diversity of, of teachings or a diversity of doctrines that exist in the world about God or about Jesus Christ, about sin, about salvation, and the list goes on. We know this, that this is true in our world today. But a complete dismissal or a complete disregard of the subject or of the importance of doctrine is not the solution to the problem, is it? Just not talking about it or not studying about it or saying, well, I, don't, you know, I, I really don't care. Well, that's not, that's not going to solve the problems of religious division. That's not going to solve you know, or correct uh, error. That's not going to be a solution to spiritual alienation. The key lies in each and every person or each and every one of us in being convicted by the doctrine of Christ. That's the key. That we are convinced, that we are persuaded, that we are convicted, and we are transformed by the doctrine of Christ. And it is then that 
harmoniously by adhering to his teaching and to his pattern by faith that there is now, there can be unity. Unity is going to be achieved by using and following the same standard. So I want to talk about that in kind of a broad sense this morning. I want to begin first of all saying that the doctrine of Christ, as you see in the inspired word of God, this doctrine of Christ is really described and discussed in the New Testament as a singular, singular unit. What do I mean by that? Well, the inspired New Testament speaks of the doctrine of Christ, in one sense, always in the singular. And the singular is a unit. It is a composite. It is an undivided whole. It's a singular you know, unit and composite of everything that pertains to Christ and his way and his will and his communication. And so there's a number of passages you can turn to that clearly mention the idea of the teaching or the doctrine of Christ. And we're gonna, I'm just going to refer very quickly to a few here, and I'm not even going to read all the ones that are on the board before you. But for example, in, in Matthew chapter 7, at the end of Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount, you have Matthew by spirit guidance writing saying, when Jesus had finished these words, he says, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. You could actually say they were amazed at his doctrine. It's the same thing. And yet, when you look at chapters 5, 6, and 7, there, there, there's a lot in those three chapters. I mean, it is meaty material. There's a lot of particulars in that, but it is seen as a complete unit. You know, you take the whole thing, or you don't take any of it. You can't, we can't pick and choose. Well, I like this part of the Sermon on the Mount, and so I'm going to stick to this part, but I'm not going to take what Jesus says elsewhere in that Sermon on the Mount. No, it is an entire unit. And they're amazed at this teaching and, and recognize he taught as one having authority. Over in John chapter 7, glance there very quickly. In John 7 beginning in verse 14. He says, When it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up to the temple and began to teach. And of course, Jesus came to teach. His whole ministry is about teaching. Teaching God's way. Teaching that the kingdom is near and you need to repent. Teaching the good news that he had to offer the world. And verse 15 says, The Jews were, were astonished. You know, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? And Jesus answered them and said, My teaching, my doctrine, is not mine, but is his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, of the doctrine, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. You know, what teaching of Christ do you get to pick and choose? You don't get to just pick and choose anything. You know. You've got to take the whole thing. And everything that Jesus taught, everything that he 
spoke, he spoke in accordance with his father's will. He came to speak the father's will. He became to do his father's will. He came to reveal the doctrine or the teaching of God that was in the mind of God before he even created the universe. That's what Jesus came to do. Jump over to 1 Timothy chapter 1. There in the context, it talks a little bit about the idea of the nature of law. That the nature of law is such, it's designed to basically help the lawbreaker to stop being a lawbreaker. It is designed to show us what's right from wrong and to expose our wrongdoing and bring us back into the right. And so Paul talks about the idea of God's law is for the good of man. Verse 8, we know that the law or law is good if one uses it lawfully. Verse 9, he goes on to say, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless or rebellious, and begins to list a number of ways that we can be lawless and rebellious. But then, as you go on, you glance down through this list, you come to the end of verse 10, and he says, And whatever is contrary to sound teaching or sound doctrine... He says, so he lists a lot of specifics, and he said, but that's, that's just, that's not all of it. It's whatever is contrary to sound teaching. Well, what sound teaching are you talking about here? Healthy teaching, sober teaching. He says, the sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And so, yes, when you talk about doctrine... And the doctrine of Christ, it is an undivided whole. It's a singular unit. It's everything that Jesus came to reveal and the Spirit came to preserve through the Lord's chosen apostles and prophets. That's why over in Titus, Titus chapter 2, Paul tells this to another evangelist. In Titus 2, verse 9 and verse 10, it's in the context where he's, he's talking about Christians who may be bond slaves. And talking about the idea of you know, you know, different relationships we may find ourselves in in this physical world. And if I'm a Christian but I'm a bond slave, well, the gospel has something to say to us about what our character and what our behavior needs to be in that situation. And so he says, verse 9, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters and everything to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. And then listen. So that they will adorn. So they will adorn. Jonathan talked about clothing ourselves. So they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. And you contrast this idea of the doctrine of Christ, this singular unit, this undivided whole, with how often in the New Testament false teaching is described. It's interesting that much of the time when you're talking about false teaching, it's used in the plural. 
and talking about the doctrines of men. You have the, the doctrine of Christ, but then you'll have doctrines of men. And so there's a few examples here. Matthew 15, it's that context when Jesus is addressing Pharisees, particularly who are complaining about, hey, you know, your, your disciples didn't wash their hands. And so Jesus addresses that and talks about the hypocrisy of the religious elite. And he particularly brings out there in the 15th chapter the idea how Isaiah actually prophesied, prophesied about you folks. So many hundreds of years before, he, he described this state of unfaithfulness and disobedience when he says, you know, you, you come to me with your lips and with your mouths, and so yes, verbally, you are worshiping me, or you're worshiping God. But that's not what's really going on. He says, so you come, you, you honor me with your lips, as verse 8 says, but their heart is far from me. In verse 9, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the precepts, or some version says the commandments of men. And so when you contrast, okay, that which originates with God and the Christ, it is the doctrine of Christ. And everything that's contained in that. But when you talk about false teaching, that which is contrary to the gospel, contrary to Christ, it's in the plural. There, there is almost this limitless possibility of what, what can men do wrong? Well, they can do a lot wrong. They can teach a lot wrong. And so it talks about how you know, men will teach doctrines you know, that originate with them. Colossians 2 talks about that as well, particularly in the idea of, of the traditions and the outward uh, things that people do religiously. You know, when he says, you know, do not taste, do not touch. And you look there in verse 20. And beginning, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to, to decrees, such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men? And so clearly we know that the New Testament warns us about this. It was, a pro- it was a problem in the first century, and it still is a problem in the 21st century, that we've got to know what is the doctrine of Christ versus what are the doctrines or the teachings of men. Hebrews 13 you know, says this in verse 8 and 9, as the Spirit speaks to us, Jesus Christ is the same. Jesus is the constant He's, the unch- he's unchanging. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that's contrasted with verse 9. When he says, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings or varied and strange doctrines. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who are so occupied were not benefited. Jesus is the same His doctrine is not going to change. 
But through the centuries, the doctrines or the teachings of men have changed and they will continue to change. And it is our challenge in our generation to sort through all of that and know the truth and know what is truly from God. The teaching or the doctrine of Christ is the truth. And since it is a complete unit, it is an undivided whole, to leave off anything or to turn from any part of that inspired revelation, not what men say it's saying, but actually to depart from its inspired revelation is to depart from the truth. It is to depart from the word of Christ. It is to depart from the doctrine of Christ which saves. And if we stray from divine truth, we are showing irreverence and we are disobeying. I'm confident, as I look over the audience, that uh, you know, you know you know, the Great Commission of Christ, as recorded in Matthew 28 or Mark 16. But we recall there in the account of Matthew, in Matthew's account of the Great Commission, and it talks about the authority of Christ, and talks about the commission itself in, in ver, you know, you know, there in, in verse 19. And then in verse 20, as he adds to the importance of baptism, and he says to them, he's talking to the apostles, you're going to teach the disciples. And he says, you teach others to observe what? What are we told to observe? We're told to observe all that Jesus had commanded. Why is that? Because the doctrine in its entirety is essential to my salvation, and it's essential to our, our, our unity, and so division, and we know this, this is nothing new to any of you, we know this, but it's good to, from time to time to just go back and think about the challenges we face in our lifetime, which are really no different from the challenges that have, men have faced in every generation. And that is division is the result of men holding diversified teaching. You know, Paul warned Timothy, you recall there in 2 Timothy, Paul warned Timothy in chapter 4 about this problem, this danger that was already taking place, but it was going to get worse. And so you look there in chapter 4, Timothy is told in verse 2, preach the word. Timothy, you just preach the word, and you preach it all the time. Just preach it every day. Just preach the word. But then you look in verse 3. He says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He's not just talking about the world out there. He's talking about believers. Believers will not endure sound doctrine. Disciples of Christ will not endure sound doctrine. Why? Verse goes on. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. You know, the multiplying of teachers, in the sense of multiplying the teachers of men's opinions and men's precepts and men's doctrines, the multiplying of that, what does it do? Well, it offers doctrines which are not from God. That's what that happens. It offers doctrines that are, that are not of the truth. Now, in here, in, in, if you, you look in the context of the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy... In verse 2, it talks about how preach the word. And then in verse 3, it talks about 
They're leaving sound doctrine, you know, implying the word and the sound doctrine are the same. And then in verse 4, he says, and they turn their, their ears away from the truth. Is he talking about three different things? No, he's not talking about three different things because the doctrine of Christ is one undivided whole. The doctrine of Christ is the word. And the doctrine of Christ is sound teaching. And the doctrine of Christ is the truth. It's all of that. But if, if you multiply teachers that will tell you what your carnality or selfishness or our greed is wanting... Because we're hungering for something different than the doctrine of Christ. Paul says, you can find it. It's out there. It's out there for for people to take hold of and to feast upon. And as long as people do that, as long as people keep uh, clinging to the doctrines of men, clinging to the philosophies and the traditions of men, as long as people do that, those things will continue to live. But if people stop clinging to the teachings of men, stop clinging to the traditions of men, stop clinging to the philosophy of men, eventually what's going to happen? That will die out. People stop keeping it, stop holding to it, stop adhering to it, it will go away. But it doesn't go away because people hold to it. They hold to these diversified teachings that originate with people. But the fact and the reality is that there are men, there are people who do teach things that are contrary to the word, contrary to sound teaching, contrary to the truth. And as Paul describes in Acts 20, contrary to the word of God's grace. Another phrase that describes to us the undivided whole of the doctrine of Christ. This word of grace. I want to very quickly just have you glance at a couple things in that conversation that Paul has with the elders at Ephesus. As you, as, you, know, as you recall, he's called them together you know, to meet him in a different town because Paul has his mind and his heart set to get to Jerusalem. He's on a journey, and he wants to reach his destination. And so the elders come, and they do meet him, and he is bidding them farewell, and he is trying to build them up and instruct them in the way of the Lord and basically alert them to what Paul already knows is going to happen eventually. He already knows that this is going to happen eventually. But what I want you to notice is what Paul, how he emphasizes here in this conversation and in this exhortation, he emphasizes the fact that what, what had he done with them? For example, you look there in verse, verse 24, he says, you know, he had, he had testified solemnly to them the gospel of the grace of God. He said, that's what I did among you. I testified to you of the gospel, the good news of God's grace. And in verse 27, and he says, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And you come down to verse you know, 30, he says, well, but there will be men who will rise and they will speak things, they will teach things that were perverse and they will draw away disciples. They'll draw away Christians after themselves. 
But he says, but you need to focus on, in verse 32, he says, you need to focus on God. You need to focus on the word of his grace because that is what's going to build you up. And that's what's going to give you the inheritance among the sanctified. And so Paul says, yes, there is going to be false teachers and there's going to be all kinds of possibilities when it comes to the doctors of men. He says, but... You need to remember what I taught you and what I did among you. And that's what you need to focus on. Because man's doctrines are going to cause unbelievers to remain in unbelief. And it will even cause believers, disciples of Christ, to turn away. So doctrine is a serious thing. It's a serious matter. The doctrine of Christ is a serious thing. It is of God or it is of men. And man's teaching, man's teaching will lead us away from God. It will lead us away from our Savior and our Lord and King. I think that's one reason, among many perhaps, that disciples, Christians in Philippi, just like us, Christians in Philippi in the third chapter are reminded, he says, you need to make sure that you're walking by the same standard, that everybody in that congregation are using the same standard to guide their steps, to direct what they do. And so in the third chapter, verse 15, he says, let us therefore, as many as are mature or perfect, Have this attitude, and you think about the attitude you described previously. An attitude of pressing on to the goal that is in Christ Jesus. Let us have this attitude among us. And he goes on to say in the 15th verse, And if and if, if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, however... Let us keep living by the same standard or the same rule to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So here you've got the church in Philippi composed of in a sense, fairly young, not necessarily chronologically, but in a sense, the church hasn't been around that long, that many years. So these saints, these brothers and sisters in Christ, are still fairly new and young, spiritually speaking, in the faith. And and so he's writing back to them about a number of important uh, aspects of the doctrine of Christ. And he said, and here's one of those things. He says, make sure that you are all living by the same standard. If you're going to press on to the goal, the upward call that's in Christ, he says you need to make sure you're all living and walking and, and directing your steps by the same standard that you have received. And he says, and follow our example. He uses himself, the apostolic example. He says, observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. You know, history testified to the fact that when we turn to our own reasonings, when we turn to our own opinions, our own feelings, our own devices, you know, we know that, you know, when we do that, there's always a multiplying of ideas and there's a multiplying of different practices. 
Because we're not going to always agree if we're just using our own thoughts. Our own personal sins are proof of that, is it not? When we have turned to our own desires and, and committed sin, what we were doing, we were relying on our own, our own self. And we sinned. When we're relying truly on God, we don't do that. It's you know, We sin when we rely on our own, whether it's our emotion, our physical desire, our thoughts, whether it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life, whatever. When we sin in those ways, you know, we are relying on ourselves. But if we are relying on God, if we're relying on a standard that is outside of ourselves... It's not based upon simply my emotion or my physical desire or my physical wants. It's not based upon that. But I'm relying on something that's outside of myself that's an objective standard that's holy and right. Well, it's going to direct my steps in righteousness. Mankind needs light. Mankind needs a map. Mankind needs a manual. Mankind needs a standard, needs a rule book. Not one that originates with man, but one that is originated with our creator, with our God, with our redeemer. And we need that so it can instruct us, so it can direct us through this life with all of its challenges, with all its ups and downs. It can direct us through this life where? Back to God. That's what we need. We need the doctrine of Christ, to lead us back to God, to bring us into a reconciled relationship that is now sanctified to him with justification by faith and grace. The doctrine of Christ is that. The doctrine of Christ is that divinely inspired prescription that we need to take every day. For Jesus is the great physician. And he's the only physician who is the solution and the remedy and the knowledge to provide for us the spiritual medicine, the spiritual therapy, and the spiritual healing that only comes through his prescriptions. Through his authority. And those who are faithful doers, faithful doers as patients, you know, doctors, you know, kind of really get frustrated with us. We go to them, we go to them, and, then we, and, and we don't always follow what they say. <laughs> yeah. And we may do a little bit, you know, but then we, you know, and that frustrates the doctor. You know, you've come to me, you know, and you've asked for my help, and I've given you, you know, a, a path that can, you know, you know, be helpful, maybe remedy this, and, that, and now you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't listen. That frustrates them. How much more do you think it frustrates our Father? How much more do you think it frustrates and grieves our Savior? the great physician, who has provided us his doctrine in its entirety with everything, all the knowledge that pertains to life 
and holiness and righteousness, everything we need to make us better and well so we can live one day eternally with him in heaven. Now we know we don't always think the same way. So the solution is we've got to use the same doctor. And we all got to, we've got to follow the same prescription. Corinth, as we know, the first letter is really all about the great physician prescribing them what they needed to correct the spiritual issues that they're wrestling with. But it's part of the doctrine of Christ. And that's why we study it, and that's why we read it, and that's why we try to apply that. But Paul, if you think about it, Paul pointed people to a pattern. He pointed people to the heavenly prescription. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and so you're early on in, in, in this letter, and you haven't really got into the, woo, the, uh, there are some really big issues going on at Corinth, but sh- should we be surprised? Should we be surprised? We are sinners called out of the world. And you think, you, know, you think immersion in water is going to automatically fix everything the moment we get out of the water? So it shouldn't surprise us that the Corinthians are not that different from us. Now, we may not have the exact same problems they had. But we, like them, need the doctor. And we need his prescription. We need his doctrine. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, I exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I've sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you, he will remind you of what? He says, he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Jesus never taught contradictory things. And so, though he may write to the Galatians and deal with this issue, and may write to the Ephesians and deal with another issue, and he write to the Corinthians and deal with some other things, he wasn't teaching different things. It all was part of the doctrine of Christ. And so the things he, you know, he would have taught uh, Corinth about those problems, he would have taught the, sa- the same thing somewhere else with their problems. He says, I've sent Timothy to remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach in, in every church. And so, yes, you know, it's the doctrine of Christ that is going to unite us. It's going to be that which brings us together. When we are faithful doers, faithful followers, faithful adherers, are we perfect in doing that? No. You know, but we're, you know, we're working in that direction. We're all trying to walk in the light as we've been called to walk. Adherence to the doctrine of Christ is what establishes unity in Christ. A lot of people want to talk about, you know, you know well, let's be united in disagreeing. And the denomination world 
takes that kind of viewpoint. We're going to just agree to disagree and just do our own thing. That doesn't unite them in Christ. What unites believers in Christ is the doctrine of Christ. Not the doctrine of David. Not the doctrine of Leland. But the doctrine of Christ is what unites us. And unity definitely is an endeavor. It is a worthy thing that we need to do. And Paul talks about that in Ephesians chapter 4. And, and you think, we are called into the fellowship of God and the fellowship of Christ. We're called into this one body. And so, you know, we need to you know, work at unity. Yes, it's an important thing. But that's not going to happen by chance. That's not going to happen accidentally. And that is definitely not going to happen by ignoring what is written by ignoring what is the doctrine of Christ. You know, what, what has the Holy Spirit spoken through his apostles and prophets? And so, yes, each one of us called out believers through Christ. Our acceptance or our rejection of the doctrine of Christ is going to impact others. Think of the idea of keeping or preserving unity. What does that imply? Well, it implies, you know, if you're going to keep something, you're going to hold on to it. <laughs> There's, a, there's the idea of adherence. There's the idea of observing something, maintaining, defending something. That's work. That's work. And that comes from us, as Paul says, walking by the same standard, holding to the same standard, recognizing that we need to be guided and led by the entire doctrine of Christ. It is that doctrine the doctrine of Christ that sets before us all the commandments, all the examples, all the teaching that we are to observe, that we are to to maintain, that we are to defend. You know, unity cannot be achieved by adhering to different lords, can it? You know, Ephesians 4 talks about there's one Lord. You know, if we if we're following different lords, there's not going to be unity. And if we're following uh, different baptisms, well, that's, you know, you're not going to be united. And if we're following and establishing different bodies, different churches, well, no, that, that's, that's not gonna, we're not going to be united that way. No. You know, we can't achieve unity by adhering to you know, this idea of, well, let's just all do it differently and not examine carefully. What is the doctrine of Christ on this matter? Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. Not you. Not me. Not even the elders. Our elders serve a God-ordained role. But they're not the Lord. Jesus is the Lord. And so therefore, no other man possesses divine authority. No other possesses divine authority. That authority has been given to Jesus. Matthew 28, 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. All of it. And so therefore, his doctrine in its entirety reveals to us what? It reveals to us God-ordained traditions. 
It reveals to us God-ordained examples or God-ordained patterns. It reveals to us God-ordained commandments. And we are to endeavor together to uphold that in faithfulness and diligence. And that's work. That takes a lot of work on our part. To faithfully and diligently hold to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. In a world that is constantly changing and impacting us and influencing us. Changing the way we think. Changing the way we feel about things. Changing the way we view things. The world impacts us. But there's only one thing that will unite us in Christ. And that is the doctrine of Christ. And so by obedience to that. By obedience to the doctrine of Christ, that which has been delivered once for all, Paul writes in Romans, for example, Romans chapter 6, he writes about through obedience we are set free from sin and as, as Cameron read, we become slaves of Christ. That's our choosing. We choose to put ourselves under the one that we want to be enslaved to because the other one you don't want. There's only one Lord that will save you. And there's only one Lord that has prepared a place for you in heaven to live forever. But by obedience, we must submit to him. We must submit to the Lord, sanctifying him as our Lord in our hearts so that he's in our Lord, he is Lord every day of our life. And that's why you think about the subject of what must I do to be saved is an important part of the doctrine of Christ is because there is diversity of teaching on that subject in the religious world. And everybody doesn't agree. But all that matters is what did your Lord say that you must do to be saved? What did Jesus say you must do? And we see that he commanded that we must believe that he is the Son of God. And we must be willing to confess that faith that he's the Son of God with our mouth, unashamedly before others, repenting of our sins, and being immersed in water. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Lord, by his authority for remission of sins. All of that's important. That's all part of the doctrine of Christ. And you can't change any part of it to suit yourself. If you want to be in Christ, and if you want your sins forgiven, you must submit to the Lord, the Son of God. If you believe Him to be the Son of God, but you've not rendered obedience, we want to encourage you to do that. We encourage you to do it today, right now. We're ready to assist you in that. But if not now, any time, any day, any hour of the day, we're ready and willing to assist you to put on Christ so that you can have your sins forgiven and you can be added to Christ and be His disciple. Whatever your spiritual need may be, please come now. Make your wishes known while we stand and sing the song that's been selected. <laughs>